Hi, this is Richard Watts, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you may now shoot the messenger. Uh, so that's the uh, slightly aggressive uh, intro music for uh, Shoot the Messenger, the fortnightly session with Fleur Kilpatrick, who joins me now on the line. Fleur, welcome. Oh my gosh, that was so aggressive. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I've heard that in, in a little while, but um, every time I do, I go, oh God, that's right. That's maybe, maybe I'm going to say something awful and people will be angry. And also, you know, just the general <laughs> misgendering of audience as well. You know, it's kind of, it's yeah. all things wrong, but, um, you know, yeah. at, at anyway. least... <laughs> We did it. We did it. We got through it. <laughs> we got there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, so rather than shooting um, the intro theme, um, let's uh, look at um, shooting off some of the um, uh, some of the pieces of theatre that you've seen recently. Um, okay. Well, I'll start with some things that have been just delightful. So right now it's Midsummer Festival, which is just this such a beautiful way to start the year. I've started to really enjoy it. Um, in the last couple of years that I, my theatre year starts with just the queerest of queer theatre and I think that queerness is something that makes Melbourne theatre really special and really kind of defines us as a community um, and so it's really just beautiful to start by celebrating that every year. Uh, so the festival's kind of wrapping up, sorry. Oh yeah, I was just going to jump in and declare a small conflict of interest that I used to be program manager of Midsummer Festival so a lot of the program that's happening is part of my doing um, but I don't work there anymore so I, I can speak freely about what I actually think yeah. about it which is that I absolutely love the festival and I think it's a great yeah. great way to start the year um, absolutely. But, but really curious to hear your thoughts about some of the work that you've seen yeah yeah well oh, that's so lovely to hear I mean yeah it, um, without a doubt last year a bunch of my top 10 shows from the year came from Midsummer. Um, I think TheatreWorks in particular I mentioned last fortnight TheatreWorks do great programming so I was back there for a couple of shows this week first one I saw was Birdwar, which is this um, bizarre kind of burlesque show loosely around the theme of birds. Someone in a foyer yesterday said to me, it's kind of like what the movie Cats was trying to do if it had just no shame and wholeheartedly went for it. Um, just kind of bird-themed bizarreness, monologues from ageing but still beautiful peacocks and uh, epic stories from vultures of watching uh, the, the, the boy who flew close to the sun, but also just weird seagulls running around trying to chasing people with chips and all sorts. Um, it was delightful. It felt like it belonged in more of a tent kind of venue, like the Spiegel tent or something, just to like really lean us into that burlesque. There was just one scene in the middle that 
I thought, if you, like me, have ever had a moment of going, is burlesque just stripping for girls with fringes? Um, <laughs> I, have oft, I have often thought that, yes. Yeah, I think we all have at times. There was a scene in the middle that made me go, oh, no, th- that's right. This is what burlesque can be. It can be this subversive and weird and silly and feminist. And it was this amazing scene of a performer uh, who was stuffing a turkey and then... In lieu of having a turkey, she also became the turkey as well and just sort of slapping herself with um, with rosemary and, and there was some ham pasties involved at the very end, all sorts of stuff. It was totally surreal and bizarre and yet still weirdly sexy uh, and just felt like the absolute epitome of what burlesque is meant to be that silly that weird i'm also just i'm reminding myself that um, midsummer is a summer festival as well so the idea of um turkey basting in you know what could be a 40 degree day and smothering yourself uh with turkey um could be um a very unique summer experience indeed well, also, it's just like someone who's been a vegetarian since I was four. I actually leant over to the person I was with at the end and said, I wonder if I would have got that even more if I knew anything about basting turkeys. Um, but I, I suspect that it, you didn't really need the intellectual background of um, having uh, cooked a turkey to really enjoy that performance piece. It was just a delight. And what, what can you tell us about the makers of that work? Um, so they're a sort of mix of um, of burlesque and drag performers. So um, six in- inches uncut and Ira uh, Luxuria present Birdwa. Um So that is Jack Beebe has been performing as six inches uncut for some time as this kind of kind of fantastic drag queen, very surreal version of drag, and then. Um, Ira Luxuria is a is a um, burlesque performer as well. So this kind of meeting of drag and burlesque, and they're both sort of got a bit of a theatre making background as well. It was very queer, very gender fluid, all of those things that you just love to see um, at Midsummer, mixed in with just a massive dose of silliness and not taking yourself too seriously, and and just joy. And the audience from the beginning was so there. I think there was some plants that have been told to make some bird noises when the lights went down, but the whole audience started making bird noises. And you just had these kind of bird whistles going back and forth across the audience for a couple of minutes before the show started, and it was just just a delight. So there was that. That's every, everything I want in a theatrical experience. Um, yeah. what, what else have you been seeing at Midsummer Festival? So I also I caught the opening night, so that one has sadly closed, but I went back to Theatre Works last night to catch the opening night night of New Balance, which is by Christopher Bryant and Emma Palachik. Really different tone. Um, This work was beautiful. Uh, It's Chris performs it. Uh, he's not. He's a playwright primarily, and, but this is a really different style of playwriting. It felt like an anthology of short stories in a really beautiful way. I had that feeling at the end that you sometimes have when you've immersed yourself in a novel where the rest of the world doesn't seem quite real anymore and you've just sort of gently slipped you know, through the looking glass into this into this other reality. Um, Chris uh, has an acquired brain injury as well, and so it was a very much an intersection of queerness and um, disability. 
um, whilst owning that, you know, he is a very privileged, queer, disabled person who is white and cis and, and can stand on a stage and have people listen to him for an hour um, and tell his story and all of this. But it was beautiful. There was also the stories of other people woven in. So from time to time, Chris would sit and read from a scrolling um, AV uh, of the words and, re- and indicate thus that these were words he was reading, not his own words. There was actually, all of the words were projected throughout, so if you are vision impaired, sorry, um, uh, if you are deaf or hearing impaired, it's a great show to go and see because the words are part of it. The whole time the words are being scrolled through, which I believe may also have something to do with um, with Chris's uh, impl- um, uh, acquired brain injury as well, just in case his memory fails him during the show and he, um, the, the words are all there. Uh, it's Gentle is the word I want to use. It's mm. a lot about the trauma of growing up queer and working this stuff out in a still pretty unconventional way. Chris is um, in his early 30s now, so it's not like he was growing up in the 60s or something. <laughs> but still that discovering of yourself and the trauma that you can acquire um, as you move through life as a young queer man trying to work out yourself. But also it's a lot about queer community and... Like at one point he said being queer is he lists off all the different things it is and including being really hydrated because queers love water. Um, So this kind of mix of silliness and trauma and beauty all delivered with immense generosity and gentleness. I just thought it was a beautiful piece. And I think uh, Christopher Bryant's one of those um, uh, artists that I, I'm particularly really um, proud not yet yeah, proud of. Absolutely, mm. he came through Midsummer's um, uh, mentorship program called Midsummer Pathways, which um, specifically focuses on working with artists with disability. Um, and I think for Chris, that was a huge turning point, particularly in terms of being able to actually uh, um, uh, uh, address uh, a disability that was an acquired disability, um, and being able to actually start to investigate that alongside his queerness and um and that and i think uh i mean he's made a few works for midsummer festival over the last few years but each one seems to kind of deepen and mature and kind of get closer and closer to the kind of core of who christopher is as an artist Yeah, I think that's absolutely what this is. It's a really different style for Chris, who can at times absolutely do this sort of loud ridiculousness or he can do a really complex and really sort of academic look at things. He's actually just finishing up a PhD on um, queerness and disability in in arts, I know. Um, But he also at times, uh, this is sort of a new voice to, to Chris, I think, which is a really... Yeah, it felt as I, I kind of keep coming back to like a collection of poems or a collection of like mini essays and not in a way that made you feel like I don't need to be seeing this, I can just listen, but just this beautiful um, dropping down into story and just allowing us to be in this story and in this moment with him, which I just I just enjoyed so much. I, I got really teary at times, other people around me did, just about everyone around me turned at the end of the show and said that was so beautiful. So it was a really universal response of just warmth and care and generosity by the end of this performance, which was just just so special and so lovely when, as you have as well, watched this artist grow for several years. Um, And I don't want to um, fail to mention his collaborator, Emma Palachik, as well, who 
sort of there's a collaborator and a director as well, and it's just done a beautiful work here. Yeah, they're definitely a dynamic duo. Um, if, you, if you've just tuned in, you're listening to Smart Arts uh, on Triple R. Uh, my name's Daniel. I'm taking you through to midday today, and I'm um, speaking with Fleur Kilpatrick, uh, award-winning playwright, director, and arts commentator. And um, she's wearing her arts commentator hat right now as we talk through um, what she's seen over the last uh, couple, last couple of weeks. Um, so we've spoken about a couple of Theatre Works shows, but you've also uh, been to Red Stitch Actors Theatre. What did you That's see there? True, I have. I must say, I've been very Southside this fortnight. I'm feeling guilty. I promise I'll I'll, I'll come north next next fortnight. Um, but it was uh, the Victorian premiere of The Feather in the Web by Nick Coyle, um, directed by Declan Green. Uh, that one's running through to March first as well, so you've got lots of time to see this one. Um, it is a play that I think a lot of my reaction for about the first three quarters of it was just kind of the sound, huh. <laughs> so just it's just a, a real oddball of a play. You're never bored. I'll say that from the start. It's very entertaining. You're never bored. But it is just weird. I was actually just glancing through what some other critics had said and I really like this opening. This is from Tim Burns in Time a Time Out. He started his review odd. Odd behaviour, odd rhythms, odd connections, odd play. And I think that kind of sums it up. It's this bizarre kind of following this hot mess of a character who just kind of crashes through this, at the beginning, this series of scenes with mostly strangers, just this bizarre second scene where she goes into uh, a very sort of camp gay male um, makeup artist and ends up sort of daring him to get his dick out and and giving him a blowjob in the mall and all this very bizarre kind of behaviour. Um, and then it moves into this story where she gets obsessed with one guy, Miles, and it's kind of this story of her doing whatever he tells her to, but also... Also, his girlfriend, his fiance, is 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 caught up in it all as well. It, I think, it's a remarkable piece of directing because it is such a bizarre play that doesn't sort of adhere to any of our usual roadmaps. It's beautifully performed. Emily Millage as the fiance is particularly outstanding, um, and I thought that uh, George Lingard as Miles, the guy that uh, Kimberly is obsessed with was also just such a perfect jerk. And I've met him and he's a very nice guy, I believe. But he was, Not a jerk in real life. Yeah, but he, is, oh, he makes a great straight jerk. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but there's just something about the play which for a time you go, is it doing something that I'm not smart enough to pick up on? And then in the sort of the last 20 minutes, the last 20 minutes just there was some really chaotic dramaturgy going on that just made me go, oh, maybe it needed a firmer hand in dramaturgy. And, you know, I've been sitting here working so hard to work this stuff out. But by the end, I just went, oh, if you just cut that, 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 smoothed that out, um, I think he would have a much stronger play. Um, so it's a strange one, but again, I want to come back to great performances. You're never bored. It's really entertaining. It's just that funny line that you find sometimes in theatre between uh, you're going, are you trying to be just silly and delightful and theatre for the joy of making theatre, which we don't see enough of, and I'd love it to see just some like great hot mess theatre comedy, 
or are you trying to say a different, uh, say a make a larger point? And I think it fell really between those two things in a slightly uncomfortable way for me that it wasn't quite you know, theatre for the sake of it, and it wasn't quite making a point. Yeah, I'm feeling, um, it's so funny that you talk about this kind of, um, sort of this kind of question of, well, what's the point, even though I enjoyed this, what's the mm-hmm. point? I had a similar experience seeing Triple Threat at um, Sydney Festival maybe a week or two ago, um, which was by UK artist Lucy McCormick, and it was this kind of irrever- highly irreverent um, retelling of the New Testament, um, and it had everything from, like, these performers, like, rubbing coffee all over each other through to, um, at one point, um, Lucy McCormick being um, uh, um, uh, fingered on stage by another performer. Like, the audience were, like, going wild, like, literally, like, had their fingers in their mouth, like, biting hard and, like, you know, the it was a wild, wild ride. But then, yeah, at the end of it, it was... You know, it was super, super queer. It was very confrontational. Mm. It was a wild, wild, wild ride. But then at the end, just kind of going, oh, why? What was the what was the point of that? And um, I think that can be such a big challenge with so much, particularly kind of new work that is trying to break the mold. Um, Sometimes the yeah, I don't know, that underlying question of um, why are we actually doing this kind of gets lost somewhere in the noise. Yeah, and I think this one is fun and silly enough that it, you know, it can kind of do it and you leave and go, oh, well, that was a fun fun night or whatever happened, whatever their intention. Um, whereas it sounds like something like what you saw, when it's that shocking, you kind of really want to have gone on that journey for a reason. Um, and I think back to um, Mark Wilson's notorious Unsex Me a few years mm. ago, like, like that so many, so much of what we took out of it was, oh, my God, and then, then you know, he... Uh, he sodomizes himself with a microphone. That was kind of the big takeaway. Sorry, everyone who's like driving in their car to work and wasn't expecting that. Yeah, dropping their kids off. Sorry about that. Yep. (laughs) But uh, but by the end, it felt really as justified as 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 a theatre work can. It felt very smart. It felt very clued into what it was doing and what what it was asking of us. I think you need to set a higher standard of like, is it justified when it's something as extreme as that? Whereas this work... Feather in the the first feather in the web is doing nothing that extreme, and it is fun. You can just go and just have a really fun time without being like, "You better justify doing this to me." Mm. Uh, slightly messy uh, dramaturgically, some beautiful directing, gorgeous lighting, great performances. Um, yeah, just not totally sold on the script, but uh, I think it actually showcases even more the skill of a director when the play that they are working with is um, is difficult or unconventional or unruly in a certain way. And Declan Green is a very, very skilled director and delights in those sort of trashy parts that can be found scattered throughout this play, which are really delicious and fun and exciting. So that was uh, Feather in the Web, which is at Red Stitch Actors Theatre um, mm-hmm. and is directed by Declan Green and is by uh, Nick Coyle and uh, is playing until... Uh, March 1st. March 1st, so there's still a chance to see that this kooky comedic work. Um, and uh, there's still time to see Midsummer Festival as well, which runs until the until this Sunday. Um, so there's a few more days packed left in, uh, in all things queer and summer um, across Melbourne. Uh, um, thank you so much for joining us on Triple R Thanks Daniel, enjoy the rest of your show I will, thank you so much, bye Cheers, bye Triple R
I'm joined in the studio by um, visual artist Paptuan Suwanakut. Uh, Paptuan, welcome. Good morning, Daniel. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you in the studio. Um, we're here to talk about your work that you're presenting for Asia Topa. Uh, so Asia Topa is a um, is a three month festival produced by Art Centre Melbourne. Uh, it is a triennial of uh, performing arts um, of work that is from across the Asia Pacific, um, and uh, it's uh, quite a massive festival. Um, and uh, Paptuan, you've created a new work for the festival. Well, a kind of new work. It's a reimagining of a of a work that you've made before. Um, knowledge in your hands, eyes, and mind. Um, you created this work originally for um, the Bangkok Biennale. Can you tell us a little bit about the the work that you've that you created for Bangkok? Um, this piece of work is installation piece, and uh, it's site specific um, at Wat Po Temple um, for. Um, those who have not been familiar with um, the temple is the place where um, um, tradi- traditional massage was um, hand over through generations. And also personally, um, I, um, as a kid, I was taken to visit the temple by my father, an artist, a mural painter himself. Um, so this piece um, was created for uh, Bangkok Art Biennale uh, as a size, uh, as a program, uh, one of the 20 sites. And the artistic director uh, of this uh, event invited me to go and have a look whether I can do something with it. And I, I took it from there from then on. Um, yeah, um and um, so the work was created in twenty, originally created in twenty eighteen at Wat Po Temple, like you just described. And now you've you're bringing the work to Art Centre Melbourne. Um, how has the work changed for the Art Centre Melbourne iteration of the work? Um, I add a few uh, elements into that that uh, relate to the history of uh, Art Centre, the place itself, uh, which uh, I researched uh, after I knew that, um, you know, um, this is, um, the work is coming to the centre. Um, that element is a kind of a fabric, organic fabric piece uh, that uh, um, in terms uh, it uh, represents the performance itself, which is the place, and also I, I uh, according to the history, uh, it's place for circus, and um, so uh, that piece, in a way, um, I built to relate to that history. So the fabric maybe represents, um, speaks to the kind of idea of circus. Does it speak to silk, uh, you know, the kind of silk fabric in circus or the kind of the circus tent kind of iconography or is it's it more, can, more abstract know, than that? Yeah, based on um, how people see it um, because it can be uh, 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 tutu. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. It can be tent. It can be um, it can be the place where, but basically um, the form itself uh, was um, lantern, uh, um, a ceremony for ceremony in Thailand, and I relate to the fabric, the silk piece itself, and also the organic piece where uh, where where 
a lot of uh, action, a lot of performance uh, uh, um, happen during a ceremony, a festival. And um, so it can be led into, you know, it's subject to be to be inter- in- interpreted um, which, in which direction. But uh, for me, uh, it's piece of, um, that is movement in that in that piece. Mm. And so this work for Art Centre Melbourne that you've created is a combination of murals, but also there's installation elements to it as well um, that sort of sits across a lot of your work, has that insta- the installation and sculptural elements to it. Um, uh, I, I was hoping, I mean, uh, I'm not super familiar with, I guess, traditional mural making in Thai culture. Can you talk a little bit about what in your work draws on, I guess, that kind of that more traditional um, Thai culture and then what in your work um, is more subversive or unique to you as an artist? Uh, to me, traditional doesn't come before my, you know, uh, it's not my direct experience. Um, and I'm not sure whether I can talk about tradition myself because uh, um, to me, tradition is something that um, static, that not uh, doing much, uh, but uh, we go and have a look and observe and uh, acknowledge. Um, the thing is, um, I grew up in a temple, and that pretty much informed Buddhist temple. That pretty much informed me in terms of um, history in that sense, uh, the narrative in itself. In itself, but uh, also my life experience. Now, uh, having um, father as a mural um, muralist himself, uh, that's another um, layer of my experience. And uh, to me, I did not go to art school um, as um, practice in art, in visual art. Um, so uh, that put my practice into much complex layer um, to um, to say directly from tradition and uh, now looking at the tradition itself the word tradition I think um, the art practice which has formed mural painting in Thai culture is on also evolved over time and uh, in that sense, I think my practice, current my current practice, was based from my life experience and touch onto that tradition that has not been located in as a static sense. I don't know if um, if that um, how it sits in contemporary art world, but mm. um, at least I am doing um, this for all my life I think mm. so yeah it's dynamic and evolving and um, yeah. and true to your own personal story as well um, you mentioned that your father was also a muralist as well um, it's, you know are there ways that your um, that your father's work influenced your work as a as an artist yeah as I said uh, it's pretty much informed my practice because uh, that's uh, um, I would not say that it's my only one-sided um, from in, uh, inference um, I mean um, uh, we we change a lot uh, in terms of um, 
as father and daughter and people <laughs> to people, but also he um, people who surrounded him also um, influenced me. Um, we are talking about poet, dancer, um, writer, activist. Um, when um, um, visually or in visual art form. Um, of course, during the time, which is like um, um, uh, my, in my childhood, which I think to everyone is informed the rest of your life. Uh, I grew up in this temple where he conducted this mural, um, as well as um, during the at the same time he um, uh, wrote a novel. And he asked me to uh, read for him. I was eight, uh, so it, uh, you are talking about uh, reading out loud to him. And uh, with that, um, with that um, reading, he sometimes he edit, and this is a public shot novel. So it's echo in my ear about um, you know the the the, the poet, poetic sense uh, in his writing, but visually I look at Miro in front of my eyes that uh, evolve that's happening uh, day to day and uh, the next day it's form another um, another visual um, and it's uh, made a lot of impact visually to me. And um, for the work that you're presenting um, uh, at Art Centre Melbourne for Asia Topa, Knowledge in Your Hands, Eyes and Mind, um, where did the title for that work come from? Knowledge in Your Hands, Eyes and Mind. Where did where did that come from? And what did, and um, and uh, how does that? Um, yeah, what is that? What is the essence of that? And how that appears in the work? I did not understand that hands and eyes and mind myself when I was a child, but it was repeatedly mentioned in my father's workshop. Um, I can only um, give you um, um, a story. I was 14. My father, um, I, at 14 years of age, you like challenge, you like, particularly your parent. So I challenged my dad. I said, why are you painting has this line in water I did not see that in water and he said he said go out and I said okay so I went out and there was a, a movie a little stream a little brook in front of that site and he said come back and what did you see and I said yeah I see water but there was no line and he said go back again now with your eyes closed so I went in and out, uh, out and in. And I said, that was darkness. You asked me to close my eyes. And he said, stay there, close your eyes again. And I did. And he said, did you see your mom, your mother? What did she do? By that time I missed her because we, we, we were in the site. And is she cooking? Or what did she do? Can you smell that? And I Having missed her by that time, I said, yes, I see. <laughs> Go back again to the water. Did you see the line? So that is what I learned firsthand about in your hands, eyes, and mind. What you do, what it's all related, and then it's form a wisdom or intellectual property. After you see something in front of you um, without... 
uh, having to see the real by your ex- experience. And um, uh, back to the work, um, it's a way to acknowledge the knowledge that what Po Temple has passed on through generation, and particularly the traditional massage, the contorted hermit, which show you the point, or show you the the, the gesture, the the, the um, um, how you um, the stretch the yoga things, and it passed on, and also the herbal herbal um, remedy, um, which. Actually, it's carved on the wall of that uh, temple, of Watpo Temple, and it's supposed to be a kind of uh, open university to me and its knowledge. Um, not only that, um, Watpo Temple is the first ever public education for Thai, um, for Thailand, for the communities there. Uh, the way I said it, public education is, it's the first time when this educa- public education open for girls and boys alike, out of the court, out of the temple. So um, I combined my own practice. I combined the way you uh, arrive to the mind and the, in, in the wisdom through your experience of practice, uh, whether uh, you um, observe or notice or experience in uh, whichever way. And uh, also, like I said, the knowledge that we, that um, Wat Po Temple um, offer to us. And uh, Paptuan, can you describe to the listeners what the, I guess, the materiality of the work that you've presented for Art Centre Melbourne is? I know you touched on the um, the fabric element that sits in the work, but can you kind of describe the, I guess, the size of the work and the materiality of it? Um, this piece originally have elements from Watpo Temple. Now that it's re- being reconstructed. To Art Centre Melbourne, and um, you know, with the fabric, um, it can be too abstract. But um, in any of um, my later, my later, my more recent uh, pieces of work, it also include interact in, uh, interactive element. And um, my audience um, is um, very important to uh, my practice. The way in which uh, it's a conversation, it's a communication. And um, in Art, at Art Centre Melbourne, uh, I know that um, this is the place, um, um, place where it's not really a conference as such, but a place where exchange um, and uh, strongly cultural exchange. Um, I so I acknowledge this. Um, um, this element of um, conversation, and I wish to see this work uh, as part of interactive uh, moment where the past, if you are thinking of the past and present, um, momentarily touch each other by the interactive with the element of this work. Uh, now, talking about elements, uh, I put a uh, mirror into uh, angle and it's in the element of the piece where in which a visitor or audience came and see themselves 
based on di- different angle. Some angle you will see yourself first. Some angle you see the work reflected in the mirror and direct to you as audience. So when you see the work and and it's draw people or as walk past because this is the corridor where people just commute, just go past. So as you approach, you see yourself and the work together. And if you walk past, then you don't see the work or you don't see. So it's kind of, it's a place where you exchange. Um, now there are music in that. Not not particularly music, but um, um, recitation of master that pass on to children, and I relate to the um, knowledge or the education that um, pass on through generation. And uh, it is the track that I recorded um, at different time from master and from and uh, when I play, I play from um, one track uh, with the master and then start uh, immediately after with the children. And that is a pause, so it does not pause at the same time. So that is also an interaction. Uh, and also there is element of the herb that which give fragrant, fragrant, where can you can uh, feel, we can touch, we can smell that. Um, I wish that um, audience uh, take time to stay there. And that's when all the elements come together and... Uh, Hopefully that um, that uh, we get that interaction from from visitors to Aisha Topper. Uh, and Paptuan, uh Art Centre Melbourne is a very big building. Whereabouts in Art Centre Melbourne is uh, is your work being presented? It is uh, at Level Five Smogan Plaza um, uh, by the box office. So if you enter from the street, uh, you have to go down escalator. Um, but I. Yes, everyone is familiar to that space, um, except um, now that they have this piece of knowledge in your hands, mm-hmm. eyes and mind. Um, Paptuan uh, Suanikot, thank you so much for your time um, here on Triple R, talking about your new work, Knowledge in Your Hands, Eyes and Mind, which is at, uh, part of Asia Topa. Um, it opens uh, on the 8th of February, which is this weekend, uh, and runs until the 22nd of March. Um, and it's free as well, which I think is an important part yes, of the experience. Um, and you can head to asiatopa.com.au to find out more. Paptuan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Daniel. It's great to be with you. Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R. You're listening to Smart Arts. Uh, my name is Daniel and I am joined in the studio by choreographer and dancer Shelley Lassica. Shelley, welcome. Oh, hi, Daniel. Um, you've got quite a jam-packed couple of weekends ahead. This coming Sunday um, that you'll um, be presenting uh, the design plot uh, at Immigration Museum. And then the weekend after, you're going to be presenting Grady Union um, at uh, Shopfront uh, on Albert Street in Brunswick. Um, uh, are you are you super stressed or you know um, calmly serene or somewhere in between? Um, engaged, let's put it that way. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Focused, focused. Yeah, um, th- you know the two works are in some ways related too. Uh, often work for me comes in kind of I don't know um, series that are sort of grouped by time, but also to do with information and the type of work that um, is being 
investigated, I guess, in the in the process of making it. So they're kind of connected in in many ways. They're not sort of discrete projects. They don't actually have a relationship with each other. Um, yeah, they, they they are discreet, um, but I, I kind of have this way of working with projects, especially things that have happened over quite a long period of time, um, where I kind of think uh, also within the work when they're actually being performed, you know, there's this sense of what's happened before and what's happening into the future. So, you know, with Design Plot, we began working on that in 2016 um, as part of a residency at the Design Hub, at RMIT Design Hub. And over the last four years, we've presented it, I think, six times in very different kinds of situations and... And I guess that's one of the the, the um, sort of main features of, of that work is kind of how it situates itself within different, not only locations, but different types of situations. And so the des- um, as you mentioned, the design plot is a, you know, has been a, it's a four-year journey. Um, can you talk a little bit about how the design plot started in 2016 and, and how that, how that um, relationship and, and um, collaboration has evolved over time? Um, there's a sort of a group of seven of us who work on it and over the period of that four years, there have been different configurations of those seven people as people... Um, are here and not here overseas or doing all sorts of projects. But between us, we've established a kind of a system of working and um, a, a way of finding a resource within the, the the trajectory of the four years that is flexible enough and durable enough that it, it kind of... Um, um, Make, creates the possibility of the work being recognisably the same work but different each time it's made manifest. Um, a number of those um, uh, manifestations have been in City of Yarra because we had some funding through City of Yarra and others have not been. We've also, because of various circumstances, not been able to do them all as live Um, performances so one of the performances actually became a film and that was um, with James Wright um, and we shot that at the the Royal Tennis Court in Richmond which is a place where people don't have public access to generally and then there's also a publication coming out too so that's a collaboration then with writers. And something that's really central to your work is the is not just the dance itself, but actually the visual language and the way that dance interacts with you know the sonography, the work of designers, the work of videographers. Um, at Immigration Museum, there's a dance floor that's been created by Amrita Heppy and Sibylline Architecture. Uh, what what drew you to working in visual language in in this way? Um, I guess it's always been my double interest. Um, and also my sort of double training too. Um, and for me, part of the, you know, when I first started making a lot of solo work when I was younger, one of the really interesting things for me was also, you know, how work is situated and in what context. And for me, that's um, uh, the place where it is, but also what what happens in relation to choreography. And for me, that's really um been 
kind of interesting to work with uh, other media other than music, especially when I was first making work. So to make relationships with visual and textural and spatial um, uh, practices. Um, so, yeah, and I'm when I work with people, I work with them in lots of different ways and it's kind of similar in the rehearsal situation too or the working situation that um, uh, it's also always a negotiation between um, information rather than um, trying to collapse everything into a, a sort of a dominant um, narrative. Uh, yes, because uh, dance I mean, traditionally is a very hierarchical art form, but that's not the way that you work. Can you take us into your into one of your rehearsal rooms? How do you and can I tell it? Can I give us an insight into how you work with those artists on the floor? Like, what kind of what do you say to them, <laughs> and how you know what's their responses like, and how do you get them through? How do you help navigate them through uh, through this process? Um, to me, that sort of situation become, has become more and more interesting. You know, the type of language you use and the the way you set everything up. I guess what I've become increasingly interested in is how in a development situation of making making a work and building a work, what what do you need to do? What's the information you need to give and the way you need to establish something for allow, to allow things to happen? So... Um, I, 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 my, I feel my role is 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 in being selective and also um, generative in the type of information I give. I'm, I don't necessarily um, want to predicate exactly what's going to happen. So it's this relationship between what I think I know or what I might not know at all. And, uh, you know, considering that, um, you know, like I said before, dance is quite hierarchical traditionally and often the way that dancers are trained is very much replicate what the um, the choreographer is doing. How do the dancers that you're working with respond to your style of working? Are they very open to it or is there, is there much resistance or how does, yeah, how does that unfold? Um, I guess generally the people that I choose to work with are pretty interested in working that way. Um, and... You know, it's a, it's a, it's a it's a it's not to say that there is no hierarchy, but it's working out how that is useful for everyone. Um, and um, I think um, I'm also interested in their dance languages, as as I am with any of the artists that I work with. Um, it's also I've made a number of works which are, in fact, about this negotiation between what my um, choreographic physical language is and others are and how how that work, um, what happens between those things. I made a piece called Solos for Other People a number of years ago in 2013 and it was about the relationship between um, my my language and others and people who have worked with me for a long time and some who hadn't. Um, and yeah, a number of other works as well. It's, it's something that particularly interests me. 
Uh, you're listening to Triple R, and I'm talking to uh, dancer and choreographer Shelley Lassica. Um, and we've just been talking about the design plot, which will be at Immigration Museum uh, this coming Sunday, the 9th of February, um, 3 to 4.30 p.m. Um, it's free with um, museum entry to the work. Um, but that's not all that's in store um, for Shelley Lassica over the next couple of weeks. There's also a work that's being presented uh, called Greater Union, uh, which is a duet between um, Shelley um, in the studio here with me and Timothy Harvey, a longtime collaborator. Um, Greater Union will be at Shopfront in Brunswick on Saturday, the 15th of February. Um, Shelley, um, Timothy Harvey, you've been working with um, Timothy for over 15 years. How, how did you meet? Um, I invited him to come to a rehearsal of a work... Um, yeah, a really long time ago. I can't even remember when, but I guess it's 15 years ago. I actually think it's a bit longer. Um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I very rarely audition people. Um, I just watch people and ask them if they'd be interested in working with me anyway. Um, that's generally how it happens. I think um, that organic approach is yeah. maybe a bit healthier. Than- <laughs> um, and... Uh, so we've worked he's worked with me on a number of different works. He also works with other choreographers too, and also makes his own work. Um, and uh, Greater Union came about as a, a sort of a in a way in response to the design plot. It was an, another kind of thing that I wanted to develop, which very more specifically had to do with how two people negotiate certain situations. Um, when there is the possibility of relocating, renegotiating certain sorts of um, parameters, hierarchies and shapes of experience, I guess. Um, it's like the design plot. It's also very um, potently aware of the situation it finds itself in. We've done it in some very big spaces and also some smaller spaces. And the other aspect to it is as well as dealing and um, making conversations with the with the, the location and the situation it's in, um, I've also um, brought in a couple of works that actually were commissioned for much older works of mine. Um, so... Um, and their um, their contributions by Anne Marie May and um, Callum Morton, and they were um, the first Anne Marie May's work was part of another piece called Vian, and um, from um, two thousand and oh. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the four, sorry the station five. just cut out there for a second. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, and. Um, uh, and a, a piece called Restricted Situation, which was a chunky move commission in 1999, is when I worked with Callum on this, um, this, this contributing this video. Um, and I'm always interested in making sort of relationships with older work, I guess, of mine too, because I think, you know, there's a way of sort of renegotiating those, those um, connections. Um, so both of those aspects are part of the work too and they have been each time we've performed it. 
Yeah, the I mean, um, the that kind of idea of the living archive and kind of bringing works out of the kind of out of the ephemera where they disappear to shortly after they've been performed, which um, is one of the amazing things about live performance, but also the deep sadness that kind of sits in live performance as well is that it um, it disappears so quickly. Um, I, I'm interested to ask, you know, your work is so focused on form and con- and, and the context that that form sits within. Um, what drew you to thinking about form and context in such a kind of sharply focused way as a choreographer? Um, I guess it's the situation that I found myself in um, when I was beginning to start make, making work in the sort of late 70s. Um, seems like a very long time ago. <laughs> um, and um, the type of discussions that were happening then in relation to both choreography and dance but also in visual art and and also in the performance world um, so so notions about form were very potent and objects and um i guess my experience of of how dance and choreography could be presented um publicly were were sort of triggered by a whole lot of um experiences of work i'd seen and also just thinking and the studies that i did um just research, I guess, and what what drew me to these complexities of of context? Because for me, that is really incredibly paramount, and always has been. Mm. And I consider that to be sort of actually part of the work of my work, mm. you know. And then for the audience who are experiencing the work, mm. say for example, like with Greater Union, which is in um, two weekends' time, what is that experience like for for the audience? What do they? How does that actually unfold in terms of the experience that they see in front of them? Um, with both these works, and this is kind of a you know a particular body of work that I'm involved in at the moment, um, I'm interested in how in engaging the audience to question and think about where they are in relation to the work, so actually physically in the space, um, and allowing those investigations to be through proximity to the performers or in terms of uh, how, how something might unfold over a period of time so with this version of the design plot where it is it's reasonably short we've done it it's for about an hour um at other times we've done it for much longer um so people's sort of um temporal engagement it can be quite varied i guess um with uh, greater union also we will it sort of it unfolds over a couple of hours and people have the the opportunity to stay for the whole lot or not and um i not all performances are like that mm. and i i'm interested in 
people making those choices in this situation. They're, 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 they're not fixed as we are not fixed. Mm. So and, there's lots of choices. <laughs> and in that way, you know, the audience are very much part of the context as Absolutely. much as the, maybe the visual setting or the, um, the dancers and the history that they bring to the work. Um, Shelley, thank you so much for joining us on Triple R Smart Arts. Um, so there's um, yeah, a packed couple of weekends. So the design plot coming up this coming Sunday, the 9th of February, 3 to 4.30 at Immigration Museum in their long room, which is a really beautiful space. Um, and uh, how can people find out more about the design plot online? Um, if you go to the Immigration Museum's website, um, all the information is up there. Um, with times and access and everything. Um, with uh, Greater Union, it's a little harder to find. <laughs> <laughs> it's part, maybe it's part of the context, I no, think. Yeah. Well, it's on my Insta. <laughs> um, but, yes, it's at um, the shop front. Um, uh, no, I'll just forget the actual address. Uh, 257 Albert Street. Thank you, Brunswick. Daniel. That's right. Uh, and it's a free event as well. It is a free event, yeah. yeah. And people are welcome to come and go throughout the work. Absolutely. And so that's Saturday the 15th of Feb um, at our Shopfront in Brunswick. Uh, and it's um, a performance by uh, Shelley Lassica and Timothy Harvey. Um, uh, Shelley, thank you so much for joining us on Triple R. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Triple R's Smart Arts, a weekly radio show bringing news, reviews and interviews about the arts, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Thursday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and if you have any questions or feedback, feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website. 